Well, it is still Sunday, the first day of the week, the greatest week in human history, the last week in the life of Jesus on this earth. He was now just days away from the cross, and in John 12, after He rode into the city with multitudes lining the way, throwing down garments, waving palm branches, shouting praises, some Greeks wanted a personal meeting with Jesus. He was rumored to be ushering in a new era of military conquest and political domination. And perhaps some of these Greeks who wanted the meeting had witnessed the no-nonsense side of Jesus earlier that day when He ran the money changers out of the temple. So they went to His disciple Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And it was immediately arranged, and Jesus rocked their world with these words in John 12, 23. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man, the Messiah, to be glorified. And right away, these Greeks are thinking, all right, now we're talking. At last, a credible revolutionary that will lead us to victory. He's going to elevate himself. He's going to ascend to the throne of David here in Jerusalem, and who knows what can happen after that. He's going to be large and in charge. He's already demonstrated that he can feed thousands with a few loaves and fishes. And we've heard and some of us have seen that he has the power to raise the dead. This is the kind of general that, that we want to fight for. But then, then Jesus drops a bombshell as he reveals how he would be glorified. And he says, first of all, he would be glorified by his death. In verse 24 of John 12, he said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus said, I'll be glorified by my death. And then he said, I'll be glorified by overthrowing Satan's kingdom. Not the Roman kingdom, but Satan's kingdom. In verse 31, Jesus said, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now, the prince of this world will be driven out. And finally, Jesus said that he would be glorified by spreading the good news of salvation to the whole world. That's in verse 32. Verse 33, Jesus said, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Well, that was not what the Greeks expected to hear, friends. But Jesus does not do egocentric self-promotion. Jesus does not make misleading campaign promises. He tells the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And when He spoke these words, some in the crowd reacted by saying in John 12, 34, we have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. 
So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up on the cross in death? Who is this Son of Man then? If it's not you, then Jesus told him, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. So now that we know the background of what went on that day, what is there for us in this passage? What, what is our takeaway on this second weekend of 2014? Well, reflecting on this text, I thought about calling this message, Jesus' Finest Hour. And I thought I would focus on the words of John 12, 23, when Jesus said, The hour has come. But then I thought, no, that's not it. So then I thought I would pull out of John chapter 12 and John chapter 13 two statements. Jesus said in John 12, verse 27, My heart is troubled. And he said in chapter 13, verse 21, John said about Jesus, his spirit, he, he was troubled in spirit. And here's what I thought. I thought it might be good for us to be reminded that sometimes Jesus is troubled, just like we are from time to time in this life. He did have a heavy heart when he predicted his death at the hands of jealous Jewish leaders and bloodthirsty Roman soldiers. And he was troubled in spirit by the betrayal of Judas and by the denial of Peter. But I decided this morning I didn't want to go to a dark place. So once again this weekend, I have condensed the message to a single positive exclamatory statement. Last week it was, we must live our lives for an audience of one. Today, here it is, you'll get through this. It's actually a good summary statement about the ministry of our Crossroads support groups that will begin here tomorrow night. There's a brochure that looks like this that's out there that you can pick up. Our support groups at Crossroads on Monday night are specifically designed to help people get through life passages, difficult life situations. Now, I just learned that this statement, you'll get through this, is also the title of Max Lucado's newest devotional book on the life of Joseph. But hey, listen, folks, I had my title for this message before I heard about that book. But still, I went ahead and got a copy of it, and I found in the introduction three brief stories. Story one. She had a tremble to her, the kind of inner tremble you could feel with just a hand on her shoulder. I saw her in the grocery store, had not seen her in some months. I asked about her kids and husband, and when I did, her eyes watered, her chin quivered, and the story spilled out. He'd left her after 20 years of marriage, three kids, and a dozen moves. He was gone, traded her in for a younger model. She did her best to maintain her composure, but couldn't. The grocery store produce section became a sanctuary of sorts, right there between the tomatoes 
and the heads of lettuce. She wept. We prayed. Then I said, you'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Story two. A friend called. He'd just been fired. The dismissal was his fault. He made stupid, inappropriate remarks at work, crude, offensive statements. His boss kicked him out the same day. Now he's a 57-year-old unemployed manager in a rotten economy. He feels terrible, sounds worse. Wife angry, kids confused. He needed assistance, so I gave it. You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Story three. And then there is the teenager I met at the cafe where she works. She's fresh out of high school, hoping to get into college next month. Her life, as it turns out, hasn't been easy. When she was six years old, her parents divorced. When she was 15, they remarried, only to divorce again a few months ago. Recently, her parents told her to choose, live with mom or live with dad. She got misty-eyed as she described their announcement. I didn't have a chance to tell her this, but if I see her again, you can bet your life I'm going to look her square in the eyes and say, you'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Now, reading Lucado's stories caused me to reflect on the number of times that I have delivered this very same counsel in similar words to people who were deeply troubled. This is my story. Number one, I was a high school junior. I was sitting in my seventh-hour English class. When the principal appeared in the doorway, he caught my eye and beckoned me to follow him to his office. And normally this would be a cause for panic. But this time I knew I was innocent of any offenses. I sat down across from him and he gently broke the bad news. My 28-year-old brother-in-law, Bill, had died in the hospital in Decatur, Illinois, after several weeks of battling liver cancer. He left my sister with two little girls, ages six and eight, and a six-month-old baby boy. I don't remember much about those hard days of grief for our family, but I do remember driving away from the cemetery and hearing my six-year-old niece Ask her mother from the back seat, Mommy, what are we going to do now? 
And in the weeks that followed, I stayed with my sister off and on to help out with the kids. Several nights we stayed up late and talked, and those conversations would be influential in God's calling on my own, my own life. It's been too long ago for me to recall exactly what I said to encourage my sister, to comfort my sister, but I imagine I tried to say in so many words, you'll get through this, Barbara. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this trial for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. My story number two. I was 21, newly married, two weeks into my very first preaching ministry at a little church in Broadwell, Illinois. I was also starting my senior year at Lincoln Christian University. As I walked down the hallway in the administration building one September morning on the way to class, I was paged to take a phone call in the business office. And I hardly recognized the voice on the other end of the line as human. It turned out to be Kenny Ely, one of our elders, and he choked out the words, I need you. I asked him what had happened, and he could only say the name of his three-year-old son, Brian. As I drove to his house on that fall morning, I remember praying out loud in the car that God would give me the right words. And I remember feeling so inadequate to minister to this good man and his wife. It was a tragic situation. Against the expressed wishes of his wife, Marlene, Kenny had taken their son out with him to work in the field, and the little boy had fallen off of the tractor and under the wheel. And it all happened so fast. The frantic father picked up his son's body and ran nearly a mile to the house to get the car to race to the emergency room, but it was, it was too late. And it's been too long now for me to remember exactly what I said. It was my first funeral, but I do remember that God gave me thoughts I had never before thought. He gave me words that I had never before spoken, and I'm sure I tried to say in so many words, You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this trial for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive. But don't despair either. With God's help, you will get through this. Now, some of you really need this sentence sermon today. Some of you don't, but you will need it tomorrow. And all of us will need it eventually. You'll get through this. Friends, this is not a cliche. This is not a platitude assured by the passing of time and its supposed numbing effect on a broken heart. This is not a time heals all wounds expression. The fact is, time does not heal all wounds. Some losses are too great. They're too hard. 
Now, I've often heard people rehearse painful life passages that took place 50 years ago with fresh emotion as though it had happened that morning. You'll get through this. Some of you will grab onto this word today like a drowning man grabs onto a life preserver, and some of you will store it in your spirit to buoy you up in the days ahead, the years ahead. And how do I know this declarative statement is true? Well, it's because of what I learned from Jesus in this passage. Two great truths. And the first one is that blessing comes through trial. Verse 27, Jesus said, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. You see, as Jesus looked at what was before him at the end of the week, he was troubled. He knew what was coming, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, the abandonment by the disciples, the tears of his mother, the trials, the taunting, the scourging, the crucifixion, the humiliation, and worst of all, the hell of abandonment by his heavenly Father. And yet his prayer is not to be delivered from the suffering. His prayer is that God's name would be honored, that it would be revered, that it would be glorified. And God promised it would be so. There were only two other times when God audibly spoke from heaven. One was at Jesus' baptism, and the other was at His transfiguration, when He was transfigured in the heavens with Moses and Elijah. And these were significant moments to be sure. But this occasion is no less significant as Jesus publicly embraces His submission to death on the cross. And when God said, I have glorified it and will glorify it again, I hear Him saying to Jesus, you'll get through this. Folks, God promises all of us that blessing comes through trial. When we are faithful to Him, when we are dependent on Him, in our times of suffering, He will bless us. Peter says it best in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and following, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So remember, remember when you are troubled, not to be too quick to pray, Father, save me from this hour. Instead, pray the higher prayer. Pray the deeper prayer of faith. Father, glorify your name. So can I give you the rest of the story about Kenny and Marlene Ely? For months they grieved for little Brian, and their marriage did require Christian counsel. But they stayed together 
And they, they were faithful to worship and serve God through those hard days. Kenny remained as an elder in our church, and although he could not bring himself to sing in church for months, and although I had to preach to the top of his bowed head for many Sundays, he stayed true. And he and Marlene began to pray for another baby. And by and by, they had a baby boy. And would you believe they named him Brian? They got through it. God's blessing came through trial. And can I tell you the rest of the story about my sister Barbara? She and the family grieved for Bill. He was such a special, young Christian husband and father, deacon in his church. How could the void left by his death ever be filled? Well, he had a younger brother, Jim, who actually looked about like Bill's twin. And when Jim was discharged from the army, he wanted to be an attentive uncle for his nieces and his nephew. And you guessed it. He and my sister fell in love, and they were married, which meant that the children's uncle became their father. And they didn't even have to change their last name. And the little six-year-old in the back seat of the car, leaving the cemetery that day, She's my niece, Judy. She grew up, and today she's a Christian counselor in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And the question she asked, what are we going to do now? That's a question she's helped many people answer over the years. The family remained true to God and got through it. And his blessing came to our family through trial. Here's the second profound truth in this passage. Life comes through death. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then he said, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, for Jesus to be glorified, it meant the cross. It meant crucifixion, rejection, abandonment. It meant physical death as a common criminal. But the cross of Jesus opened the way to eternal life for multiplied hundreds of millions through the ages. And then after Jesus compared His death to a single seed that dies and produces many seeds, He applies this illustration to you and me. If I love my life, if I seek to hold too tightly to my life, then I'll lose it. 
So how does that happen? It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction at all because John uses two different words here that are both translated life. And what Jesus is saying is this, you can seek to hold on to your physical life here and now. It can consume all your days, all your desires, all your affections. But the result of such self-centeredness will be that you lose eternal life. And the way to eternal life is to die to self-centered living. And if we choose to die to ourselves and die to this world by such a choice, we secure eternal life. C.S. Lewis nails it in his book, Mere Christianity. And this quote will sound just a little philosophical, but if you'll give your mind to it, it'll bless you right now. C.S. Lewis writes, The principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. He said, look for yourself, and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ. Look for Christ, and you will find Him, and with Him everything else is thrown in. Life comes through death. There's a single word in the text that I want to hold up in our time of commitment today. It's the word unless, unless. It's a word that represents a choice. Unless we die to ourselves and surrender to Jesus Christ, there will be no real life in us. We'll limp along to the finish line in this life and then lose our souls. Or we can choose to die to sin and selfishness and live for Him who loved us first. And He will make us more than conquerors. And the word unless indicates that the road forks in front of each one of us. And if you choose, not just today, but daily, to die to the visible, the temporal, in this life, and if you're devoted first to the invisible, the eternal, then you'll truly live every day with the faith, with the confidence, with the promise. You'll get through this. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for the clear word of assurance that we see in Jesus, hear from Jesus today. Lord, we pray that we would embrace it from our hearts. Pray for this day to be a day of 
new beginning for some and continued devotion for others. Lord, we thank you for the assurance that we can get through anything because you walk with us, you walk beside us. In Jesus' name we pray.